it is the most popular and also, in my opinion, the most ill-defined concept in the workforce right now. But it's all anyone seems to want to talk about, I think. I can't wait any longer, y'all. We're going to get into it. It is time. We're going to talk about quiet quitting. We're going to talk about what it is, what it definitely is not, and what needs to happen to address the problem that it actually represents. My name is Dr. Misha Ann Martin, and this is How We Work. So our guest this week is here to help us make sense of this phenomenon and this media sensation called quiet quitting. My girl, Kiana Schmiedel, is the new vice president of diversity, equity, inclusion, and sustainability at Mozilla. Kiana, please welcome yourself back to the show. I am so excited to be here. I am so excited to be with Dr. Misha and and to talk about this foolishness called quiet quitting. Honestly, (laughs) what are we talking about? When I hear the term quiet quitting, and then when I saw the explainer, I was like, this is a misnomer. I really don't understand how we landed here. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So... One of the things that irks me about quiet quitting is it feels like we don't have an agreed on definition. It feels like we're not even all talking about the same thing. So I would really like for us to start there. In your opinion, how should we define quiet quitting so that we're all on the same page? So again, I come back to, I just don't like the term quiet quitting because to me, those words each have their own meaning. And when you put them together, I think of that meme of like the Simpson, like fading into the bush and that would be (laughs) quiet quitting, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. So for most of the things that I've read, this idea of quiet quitting is I'm just not going to go above and beyond at my job anymore. I'm going Mm. to do the bare minimum. Remind me what the job description said. That's all I'm going to do. And so if that's the case, then I think, okay, let's have that conversation. I'm quite interested to know, though, how does that align with how you're thinking about it? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. I think that there are, from what I've seen, two different ways people are talking about it. So one is the way that you just described, which is withdrawal, right? And there is a ton of research, some of which I've led myself, that shows that before people quit, they actually withdraw from the work environment in different ways. So absenteeism tends to go up first. The discretionary effort starts to go down and then they finally quit. So I think that is a worthwhile discussion, but we need to know that that's what we're talking about. Now, some people, when they say quiet quitting, what they really are referring to is boundary setting. Let me set some good boundaries between work and what I want to do with the rest of my life so that I don't burn out. That is philosophically very different from what we were just talking about, right? So I just wish we could all agree, okay, so this is what it is. 
and get beyond the snazzy headline so we can have a real discussion about whatever it is we're talking about. Yeah. So what I love about the second definition is I think that's the conversation we should be having. Yeah. I think that has less to do with quiet quitting than it does in saying, let's have an honest conversation about what is required for me to do my job well. Yes. And let's make sure that as organizations, we're having those discussions about what is the actual day-to-day for this person and those expectations. I think that we're starting to come into this moment of this backlash against the workforce again. But we got to this point of like quiet quitting becoming this phenomenon because it was this moment of the workforce individual workers saying, I need something different. This is not working for me anymore. But that isn't a unique to an individual job or organization discussion. That's our orientation to work and how it matters in our life conversation. Yeah, I think the dueling definitions also highlights what to me, I think is a fundamental problem around how we think of work. So the first definition, which is around withdrawal and withdrawal theory and the things that precede actual quitting, that's to me around okay, so this is bad for the organization. Okay, clearly. But the other definition that's more about well-being and personal health is about what does the person need? And I feel like we're often so focused on what the business needs that we forget that when we serve the people, the people serve us. We're asking the wrong questions, right? So I'm with you. I wish that we were talking about the boundaries and people not getting what they need and well-being more than we were talking about the business needs. Yes. And I just want to underscore the, when you serve the people, the people serve us. I think for too long, we've had this idea of individuals being interchangeable to an organization. And it's like, no, people are not cogs in the wheel. A business does not accomplish anything without people. And if you're not treating your people well and you're just cycling through your people, then that's a discussion around an unhealthy business. And we should have that conversation, but from the perspective of what do the individual or individuals need? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's really, really interesting the way that this has all played out. I think that workers today are going to be challenging businesses a lot. And personally, I am here for it. And while we're on this, like this is a super hot take, (laughs) but can we stop with the calling people resources and assets? Like I studied sociology way, way long ago, but language is so important for culture. And so I wish we would change our language around the people that make businesses thrive. So that is on my list to Santa for this year, just so we all know. (laughs) Okay. So we did actually a joint report with Gallup where we did talk about quiet quitting in the report. That was actually part of the title of it. And because Gallup and Work Human Think Similarly, they started out by defining what quiet quitting meant in their article and exactly what they were talking about, which made me give the raise the roof sign. So in that report, they actually defined it as actually not severely disengaged, but the other side of engagement, which is just not engaged. So they're not the people that are so, according to this definition, 
that are so unhappy that they're going to like steal the office supplies and (laughs) engage in other counterproductive work behaviors because that is the dark side of engagement. And here are some stats from that report. So about half the U.S. workforce is made up of these quiet quitters. So the people who are not engaged, but also not ready to burn down the office building. Another stat, about two-thirds of U.S. workers find that their work experience falls short of what they need to be fully engaged. I actually read this article recently that was sent to me that so many U.S. workers wouldn't wish their job on their worst enemy or on their (laughs) friends. Can you believe that? So what do you think about that? So one, I'm chuckling, but it feels (laughs) like a oh, it's so bad. You just have to laugh kind of a chuckle. Yeah, I think it's getting back to that conversation around, do we treat people in the business like resources or do we treat them like the critical linchpin in creating great in an organization? And what happens when you're not doing that? And I think when you then put like macroeconomics on top of that conversation, it feels as an individual in an organization, like there are so many other forces dictating when is the time to have what conversation we can have and how reasonable do I have to be that at some point you're just exhausted and exasperated, right? And so the idea that so many folks in the workforce would not wish their job on their worst enemy. I would like us all to take a collective deep breath and say, is that just about work? Or is that also our orientation to work? And this idea that work should be everything. We should be so fulfilled by our jobs that you are your job. And how do we get okay with maybe that doesn't have to be the case? And that feeling successful and worthwhile is not just wrapped up in your job title and where you work. Yeah. So I want to dig into that a little because you and I both have jobs that we're really passionate about. I was talking on the phone to a friend last night and I was telling him how the George Floyd murder changed my whole life and how I did a personal reckoning that came from my feelings of hopelessness and basically set an intention for what I wanted the rest of my life to be. And impact was a big part of that. Using my personal voice was a big part of that. And so I said to him that what I'm doing now really fulfills that charter and my steps are ordered and it has revolutionized my life. So I guess my question is, I want everybody to have that feeling Mm -hmm. and that relationship to work, but I hear you challenging me on that notion that maybe that's not where everybody gets that feeling. Is that what you're saying? I think it's a combination. I don't think you get to numbers like half of the U.S. workforce being made up of quiet quitters and two thirds of U.S. workers finding their experience fall short of what they would like it to be without some degree of, are you in a job mismatch? Is this not the organization for you? And so some of the great resignation or whatever we want to call it that had happened over the last couple of years, I think was a realignment of, oh, no, wait, I can be good at my job, but also do it at a place that I can be happy or that I align to the values or mission of the organization. And I don't want to lose sight of that. 
At the same time, I'll give you this example. So during the beginning of the pandemic, I am a mom to two small kids. So one had just been pulled out of kindergarten and the other one was in daycare and they're both home. And I luckily have a loving and supportive spouse, but he too works full time. So between the two of us, we're trying to split an eight hour day. So four hours for each of us while we're trying to watch the kid do remote kindergarten. And I love the work that I do. I feel like it's critical. I care deeply and passionately about it. And at the same time, I was like, something has got to give. I am up to my eyeballs in what feels like this very intense moment. And that was before George Floyd was murdered. And so in this moment, for me, it was a, I need to be able to show that I can be excellent at what I do that I can still have that level of care that's important to me, but that I can also pull away, take time for my family, take time for myself. And that doesn't mean that I'm any less dedicated. I don't know that it was that other people needed to see that from me so much Mm -hmm. as I needed to be okay with that for myself. Because I felt like if I didn't show up a thousand percent at work, I was a failure. It taught me to rely on community. And I think that that for me was a revelation on the scale of the revelation that you had, right? Of the, Mm -hmm. what can I cede to other people who are willing to give in this moment and not feel like I have to carry it all and that I have to have all of the hot takes. Got a lot of hot takes. (laughs) You do. All of the hot takes all the time. (laughs) And so that was my balance, right? And so I think what I want to challenge is for folks to find what their balance is. And for some people, it's all in on work. And for other people, it's 90% in at home and 10% at work. Okay, well, whatever your mix is, then what's the job or the role that aligns to you feeling like you have more agency in how you show up at work? And is that a better way to think about some of this than just the like all or nothing mindset that we've had? I absolutely love that. I love that. That is such sage counsel. So that is a perfect segue to talk about burnout. And this joint report we did with Gallup on quiet quitting does include a piece about burnout. So according to this report, about a quarter of U.S. workers and even more globally have been facing high levels of burnout. Work Human has also studied this. In the midst of the pandemic, we found 60% of people reporting that they were burned out. So I want to talk a little bit about the role of recognition in this, because obviously we study that as well as a recognition company. And one of the interesting things that we found before the pandemic and during the pandemic is that being recognized lowers the pressure and helps people feel less stressed and burned out. There's something about being appreciated that takes the pressure off and signals to the person, this is a tough time, but you're doing just fine and we still value you. Yeah. And I would say it also affirms that you're doing something that matters because it then motivated someone to take time out of their day to acknowledge the thing that you did. And there's nothing that people want more at work 
than to be acknowledged for the things that they're doing. Yes. And especially when it feels like everything on the outside, even if you work for the best organization, you're in the right role, you have your balance mix, you can't stop the outside from coming in, from impacting you. And I think what we're saying about burnout and on the flip side, recognition is that we're having a conversation about the U.S. workforce and maybe even globally not wanting to necessarily compartmentalize, right? I think about that really messed up show Severance on Apple TV. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, what happens when you go to work? It used to be like, and then you shut off your outside self and you show up your work self. And then the second you're out of the office, then you're back to your outside self. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that all of us were ever able to do that very well. And when you have something like a global pandemic, when you have something like a global racial and social reckoning moment, you can't just leave that at home. It impacts who you are in all moments. And so when you have that noise in your head, in addition to, and it just makes it harder to concentrate on work, to feel like I'm doing a good job, does any of this stuff even matter? To have that small moment of hope or insight or light that somebody else sees you and appreciates what you're doing, of course, it starts to like open the aperture a bit more and just allows you to take a deep breath. And I think when we talk about burnout, what we're talking about is this idea of feeling like you're suffocating from the, I have no idea how I'm doing. And I don't know that this organization appreciates me. Yeah. And that's a really hard place to then say, and now dig yourself out of that. And I come back to that idea of community and recognition. What you're doing is you're building community of folks that are saying, I see you and I appreciate you. Yeah. And I just believe that that's so incredibly powerful. We need to be able to do more of it. And we need to not be scared or nervous or overthinking it. So that it just comes naturally. But I think at sometimes we do need to be much more intentional about that until it just becomes part of the practice. But we've just gotten out of practice. Oh yeah, we sure have. And that practice is needed so much. And I just want to paraphrase what you said because I love it. So what I heard you saying is that that combination of acknowledgement and appreciation is what helps people thrive in workplaces and help colleagues become community. Yeah. So this operates differently for people of color, right? Because that acknowledgement piece operates differently for us because we know that we are different from the statistical norm. I had the opportunity to interview a few Black men about their experiences in organizations, particularly in tech organizations. And one word that came up so much that broke my heart was the word palatable. Mm -hmm. I have to make myself palatable. And it rang true, but it was heartbreaking. And that contributes to the emotional burnout of the code shifting and the mask wearing. And you don't feel like part of a community when you feel like you have to be palatable. Right. So I'm having an internal visceral reaction to that. And it's because I know exactly what they mean. And that is so sad. It's making me think of an example where in my work past, recent past, I've had a colleague 
call me out in a moment of like, hey, I'm just checking in. I'm wondering if you're all right. I'm not really seeing a ton of reaction from you. And maybe it's because you're wearing a mask. And it was a literal mask because we were indoors during a pandemic. Got it. But in that moment, I looked around and like 70% of us were wearing masks. I see. And so that hit me as a woman of color, as a Black woman, as a, oh, I literally am not allowed to wear a mask because then you don't know how I'm feeling in that moment. And that makes you uncomfortable. But also, if I were to have my very real reaction to that in this moment, this unfiltered conversation with you, that too would make you uncomfortable. So what's this in-between dance? How do I make myself palatable in this moment, but also stay honest to myself? Yeah, it's that constant tightrope. And I hope that one day nobody has to do that, that everybody has the ability to show up authentically in the workplace. Yeah. And I think what I hope, and I'd be interested to understand research on this, hint, hint, What constitutes burnout for folks who are other? And how quickly do they climb that ladder from I'm doing all right to I'm burned out? I'm wondering if that dimension of visible diversity has an impact on how quickly they ascend the ladder to I'm peak burnout. Because I imagine that a lot around identity would factor in here. And I'm also wondering, because in certain spaces, in most spaces, when we think about tech and some other industries of note as of late, we're not as represented. A lot of times you get the, well, the end size is so small. Yes. Or, well, we just don't have enough data there to say that there's a there there. Mm -hmm. And so how much does that get discounted versus looking at groups like ours, at any group that's other, as the canary in the coal mine. Yes. To say like, hey, this is the first point of reference. And so we've got to be able to back people back down to they feel all right. Mm -hmm. And thinking of those moments as clear opportunities to do right by everyone by focusing on some of these more marginalized communities. Absolutely. If, (laughs) If you do right by the people most affected, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. Well, Kiana, you're just going to have to call me Santa because that research is currently underway. How did I know? And we are presenting (laughs) the results at Work Human Live in San Diego next year. So hashtag don't believe me, just watch. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. All right. So any final thoughts before I wrap this episode on quiet quitting. Anything you want the people to know? I want the people to know that they need to tell a friend if they've made it to this point in the conversation, because this is a conversation that needs to be had by more than just you and I. Share it with a friend, tap somebody and say, hey, what do you think of this? Because I think the more of us who get involved in a thoughtful conversation about what's going on at work, and how we can still be human at work, the better off we're all going to be. So I leave you with thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this amazing conversation, for the time, for the reach to your listenership. I greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate you so much. 
Oh, I appreciate you too. You know, it would be so awkward if you didn't like me because I am such a fan, but (laughs) I actually lied. So I'll ask you one more question because you're right. This is something that is affecting millions of people, regardless of how you define it, right? If you define it as just shy of being actively disengaged, or if you define it as I need to set better boundaries so that I don't burn out physically or emotionally. So the last question is what should leaders and organizations do right now or after they finish listening to us to address the core of this problem? What would you do? And I want you to think about it from the perspective of both definitions of quiet quitting that we've discussed today. Okay. So if we start with this idea of disengaged or pulling back on engagement, I would ask leaders to consider when's the last time they evaluated what engagement looks like in their organization. Have they done the due diligence to understand what it looks like to be an engaged introvert, an engaged other? But do we have enough of the variables in what engagement looks like to understand that in the moment so that we can then address disengagement for each almost individual, right? But definitely certain buckets that we have. Because sometimes I think we look at engagement based on extroversion, based on in-group, based on you didn't want to come to the drinking thing and the bowling thing and the whatever. And that's not exactly it. So let's be clear about what we're hoping for from our engaged workforce. Let's communicate that and let's continue to measure those things and hear the voices from people. If we think about it from more of a taking care of self to not burn out to all of those things that we talked about for that second definition, I think it's considering, so what are the needs in this moment? When we think about total rewards programs and benefits, how much are we doing to support the need for mental health? Mm -hmm. At the peak of the summer of 2020, I was like, I am finding a therapist. I am meeting with them weekly. I still meet with my therapist and it has been the best thing for me. And I really believe in the notion of taking care of our minds helps us to open up to taking care of our bodies, to thinking about ourselves as worthy of being cared for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you're just in the grind of work and you feel burnt out, the last thing you feel like it's okay to do is to take care of yourself. So I think it's also encouraging leaders to understand how they can model that behavior, how they can encourage and how they can reward that behavior of people taking care of themselves. Because as you said, if you take care of the people, they will take care of the business. Absolutely. Thank you. Great advice. And I echo your sentiments on the therapist. I went to my therapist yesterday morning and it's on my calendar for everybody to see. I tell people about it all the time because I do think that we need to normalize taking care of the mentals. Absolutely. So Kiana, thank you so much for joining us on How We Work Again. Always a pleasure. And I'm always leaving our conversations inspired fired up, but also calm. So thank you so much for (laughs) joining us on How We Work. And thank you. 